So now we come to our second part of the series, but just before Neil, we've got Neil Bartlett here who's going to be speaking to us, and he'll introduce himself in a minute. Just before we have Neil up, let's remind ourselves of that story that Jesus told that we heard last week, the story of the lost son from Luke chapter 15, which is the basis for this five-week series. There was a man who had two sons. The younger son said to his father, Father, give me my share of the inheritance. So his father divided the estate equally between them. Not long after, the younger son took all he had and set out for a distant country where he squandered his wealth on wild living. So after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine and he began to be in need. So he decided to hire himself out to a man and he was sent into the fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but nobody gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to eat, but here I am, starving to death? I will set off and go back to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and yourself. I am not worthy to be called a son. But please, make me a servant of yours. So he got up and went to his father. But whilst he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion and ran to him, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and I have sinned against you and I am not worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, Quick, Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the elder son was out in the field. As he came near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. He said, your brother has come back and your father killed the fattened calf to celebrate that your brother is back safe and sound. And the brother was angry and refused to go in. So the father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. I've never disobeyed you. But yet you don't want to give me a young goat? to celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property on prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive, was lost and now found. Well, good morning, everybody. It's uh, really good to be with you doing this series on coming home. Absolutely great. Harrison Ford is one of those actors, very well-known actors, who's never won an Oscar. Uh, Despite 47 film appearances, 
He's never won an Oscar. What's more, he's only been nominated for one. And that was in the film The Witness, in which an, an Amish boy is the sole witness of a murder. And he, Harrison Ford, is the policeman who's assigned to the case. I, do you know, this film was so long ago, I just wondered if there was anybody here, apart from myself, who knows, who's seen the film. Could you just raise your hand? That's exactly what I thought. It's a generational thing. All right, so, it's a... Uh, so it was made in 1985, and um, the thing I, re- I remember was it gave me a fascinating insight into the Amish community. This religious, closed community, it was, it was fascinating. Now, I realize it's much more topical today. We have reality TV shows such as Breaking Amish and Returning, Return to Amish. But there is a word that all of the Amish would be familiar with, all of them. And that word would be rumspringer. Rumspringer. I wonder if we could just say that. Rumspringer. Do it better. Let's try again. Rumspringer. Okay. It's exactly how it sounds. You just did it exactly. It means running around. It means doing your own thing. It means getting your freedom, whatever you want, and going for it. Uh, phraseology like sowing wild oats and all that sort of stuff. That's what it means. It, it's a word to describe a season of life for the, for the young. And they're approximately around about 14, 16 age range. It's a freedom which gives, allows them to go out at weekends and engage or experiment with the world outside. I am not advocating that, by the way. Just in case you're concerned, parents, I am not advocating that. But um, not every Amish community does this. But the ones that do, they understand that at the end of that given time, there is a choice that has to be made. They can choose baptism within the local Amish church and thus committing themselves to the values, beliefs, and lifestyle of that community. Or they can leave the community permanently and live in the world for good. Now, in the story of the lost son, which we just heard, that's what he's doing. He's having a rumspringer. I mean, this, he is doing his own thing. Uh, now, that's not an original. Many of us, I suspect in this room, have had our own rumspringers. We've done our own thing. You know, um, we might call it, and sometimes there's different seasons of life. Sometimes we might have a, I don't know, a gap year springer. Look, if you're in a gap year and you're, and you're not running around, it's fine. I'm not saying everybody is, but it might be a gap year springer. Maybe it's a, uh, maybe it's a midlife springer where one of the spouses arrives with the sports car or a Harley Davidson. Maybe, maybe it's a midlife springer. Or, you know, maybe it's not uncommon, you know, that... Some people have a break in their work cycle, get a year off, do whatever they want for a year. The work agrees it, a one-year springer or whatever it is. I don't know. Perhaps you're here and you're actually doing a rum springer right now. Perhaps that's where it is for you. You know, testing the boundaries, doing things I've never done before. Maybe life's got a bit tedious and I need adventure. The trouble is, it's the adventure will take me to places I shouldn't go. 
And I'll break responsibilities with people I have responsibility for. Possibly my, my family and my spouse. Rumspringer. I, I can say this because I've done one. I know what this is like. And so therefore I can ask the question, how's that going for you? If that's where it is, I wonder how that's going for you. See, we're in our second series, second week here of our series coming home. And, and you know, in this room there are people, and there are stories upon stories of people who have done exactly that and come home to God. And that's the heartbeat of who we are as a church. We love to see people come back to God. Many first-time experiences happened right here in this community where people turned from their past way of life and made a choice to follow Jesus. Many. But this is not just about a first-time experience. Please catch me on that. Because I know that if you know following Jesus is an ongoing journey... It's a relationship of highs and lows. <laughs> and often we find ourselves, we don't realize it at the time, we just find ourselves wandering and meandering away from home a little by little. And then we've gone further than we thought. Or some of us just went, do you know what? Blow it. It's not going the way I wanted. I'm doing a rum springer. Well, coming home is a changing moment. It's a life-changing moment, but it's also a process of growth too. So last week, John talked about longings. We all have these longings. Love, purpose, meaning. They're everybody's longings. John even divulged at an early age, he had a longing to be a pole vaulter. We're still trying to get our heads around that. But, uh, you know, some wanted to be doctors and, and some wanted to be train drivers and nurses and astronauts. Uh, why would we dream of things like that at the age of six or seven? Come on, it's, it's not as if we've got bills to pay at that age, is it? Well, why would you ever think like that? It's, it's because we have an inbuilt longing for purpose and to be someone, to accomplish something. I remember at an Academy Awards uh, that... Sally Fields, on her acceptance speech of her award, she said, I can't deny that right now you like me. You really like me. What an insight. What an insight into her longing for acceptance and being wanted. All our longings outside of God, I'm telling you flat out, they fall short. Every single one of them. They leave us with a restlessness and that phrase, there must be more to life than this. They leave us with those things. And we heard in those personal stories exactly that last week. Unfulfilled longings leading to decisions and choices they wish they'd never made. Somebody wrote this. They said, the cure for all our yearning and restlessness is not to keep getting more. That only bloats us, never fills us. The cure is to yearn for the right thing. Otherwise, you know, our desires to be fulfilled never truly cut it. And we never imagined 
we could find ourselves in the places that we find ourselves. And then with this line comes, do you know what? I wish I could start all over again. If I had my choice, that moment, I would like to delete. I'd just like to delete it. I think there's a certain Sam Allardyce this week who is thinking, do you know what? I should never have got into that conversation with those people. I should never have done it. This is his lifetime job to be the England manager. He's possibly the most successful. He has a 100% record. Never played at home. Won only one match. But he regrets. I mean, what regret he must have. He won't be the only one, will he? We all know, understand that. Let's look at this aspect of the prodigal son, shall we? So we're going to go to verses 15 and 17. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'll set out, go back to my father, and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. There's two parts I want to pick up of the story. And here's the first one. It's that first he came to his senses. And the second one is, I will set out and go to my father. We're at a key moment in this young man's story. Absolutely key. He's followed all his desires for the good life. In leaving home in that culture, he's utterly humiliated his father, family, the lot. He's blown his inheritance. (laughs) Nothing left. He is so broke, the pigs have a better menu than he does. In fact, they have a menu. I'm not even sure he does. And his rum springer has turned sour in his mouth. And everything is full of regret. That's a place of coming to senses. However long he was gone, whatever he did, and he now finally wakes up. And in the background, you've got all that... All those family and friends who said, don't do it. Don't do it. He's got all that in those stories. Go, don't do it. Whatever you do, don't do it. And he ignores that. I'm not going to do it. No, he ignores that. Dismisses every single one of them. I am doing my own thing. I'm not listening to anybody else's advice. What's it to do with you? I know what's right for me. So I want to just introduce you, because I know we all do a little bit of that, to planes, trains, and automobiles with John Candy. And they're on their way home for Thanksgiving. And this is part of their journey. Hey! Hey! Hey, what's going on? Some joker wants to race. Race? That's ridiculous. All right, come on. Let's go. Let's go. Put your window down! You want something? Probably drunk. You're going the wrong way! What? You're going the wrong way! He says we're going the wrong way. Oh, he's drunk. How would he know where we're going? Yeah, how would he know? Thank you. Thanks a lot. Terrific. Thank you. (laughs) What a moron. Going 
I just love that film. It's got nothing to do with today. I just love that. No, it's a, you, you're, go, you're going the wrong way. You can't know how many people have told us that and we just carried on doing, going the wrong way. I remember on a motorway once, it was at night, and um, I was going south. I was going south. I knew I was going south down the motorway. But the sign said I was going north. But I knew I was going south. So I carried on going. I passed the junction thinking, put the wrong sign in the wrong place. <laughs> and, I, and then I just keep going. And, and then a second sign for the next junction told me I wasn't going south. I was going north. You know, and that moment comes and you go, I got off the motorway, okay? It makes, I, I came to my senses. You need a moment when you wake up and come to your senses. And that's what happens to the sun. And now... We're just going to hear a little bit of Juliet's story too. I was brought up in a loving family, one of five children, the youngest. My mother and father adopted a cousin of mine from the West Indies. And from there, I just felt unloved, pushed out, not wanted. There was a longing for love and belonging. And this is what led my life to want to have that feeling of being loved by people, relationships, which continued got broken down. Friends, I couldn't trust in the end. They broke my heart. Partners that I had completely broke my heart. I knew at this point I needed to get rid of pain, hurt, heartache. Led me on to smoking cannabis. I used to wake up in the morning and the first thing I used to have was a joint. I just knew I needed that. I was completely addicted. I couldn't stop myself. I knew I needed to stop, but this was my way of trying to suppress my pain, my heartache. I used to take myself off into the kitchen. That was my place of having a smoke. But this one evening, my son came into the room 
crawled in. I turned around and looked at him and I saw him pointing to me and saying, no, no. Broke my heart. I couldn't believe my boy was saying this to me. I knew I couldn't be doing this anymore. I knew he needed me. I knew I needed help. Um, it takes Juliet's little boy mummy no no it takes that for her to come to her senses it's, it's the moment it's the moment coming to our senses means that we you know Juliet had tried all sorts of things it's her little boy that puts his finger on it halts the course of her life, stops her going in the wrong direction. And coming to our senses is about acknowledging that the decisions, decisions that we have taken and the places we have never imagined, it, it means acknowledging them. That's the first step. Richard Rohr is an author and he says this, you cannot heal what you do not acknowledge. And what you do not consciously acknowledge will remain in control of you from within, festering and destroying you and those around you. There are many of us here, if you've you've got to places of regret, you'll know this is true. You know, your life is heading in direction and it's a far cry from what you want. You know, you've got to acknowledge. Brennan Manning tells the account of Max. Max has been in and out of rehab for years. Max is Mr. Denial. He does Alcoholics Anonymous. And the counselor this term, this time, he is determined that it's going to be different. Max has never been honest about his drinking. In this particular session, and it's obviously a group session, he makes a couple of phone calls. And one is to the bartender of his local. And he asked about Max, you know, you know, do you know Max? Do I know Max? Max, Max, he's a heck of a guy. He comes in here every week, every day. When he finishes work, every day. Has five or six drinks, regularly buys around for, the, for, the, for those here. And everybody loves Max. Max erupts in this group. He just goes ballistic. He calls the barman all names under the sun. Then he regains his composure and he says, even Jesus gets angry at times. The counselor asks him, has his drinking ever affected his children? And he dodges and he deviates and he will do anything but answer that question. The counselor rings Mac's wife. It seemed like it happened just yesterday, the soft voice said. Our nine-year-old wanted a new pair of shoes for Christmas. So on the afternoon of the 24th, Max drove her to the store and told her to get whatever shoe she wanted. When she climbed back into the truck, he was driving. She kissed him on the cheek and told him he was the best daddy in the world. And uh, 
He was so proud of himself, he decided to celebrate. He stopped at the tavern, told our daughter he'd be right out. It's an extremely cold day. It was 12 degrees under zero. Max left the motor running and locked both doors because he couldn't take our little girl into the bar. He was only going to have one drink. It's a little after three o'clock in the afternoon. And my husband met some old army buddies, lost track of time, came out of the tavern at midnight, drunk. The truck had stopped running and the windows were frozen shut. Our daughter was badly frostbitten. The window, they badly frostbitten them on both ears and her fingers. When we got her to the hospital, the doctors had to operate. They amputated the thumb and forefinger on her right hand. She'll be deaf for the rest of her life. Max collapsed on the floor, sobbing uncontrollably. The counselor surprised everybody in the group by saying to Max, there's the door. Over there. Pack your bags, get out. This is a rehab for alcoholics, not liars. After a few moments, Max, sobbing, turns into pleading to be allowed to stay in treatment. He began talking at length about what he'd done and how he hated himself for it. And the counselor and the group began to help him work it through. He had come to a place of deep regret and he knew he needed to start over. Manning finishes the story and says, Max proceeded to undergo the most striking personality change I have ever witnessed. You cannot heal what you do not acknowledge. And in the story of the prodigal son, he comes to his senses. But secondly, he makes a decision to come home. This is what we would call repentance. Now, I know that word, repentance. And uh, sometimes the, the church has a heavy word on it. It goes, you know, you need to repent. You know, it, it kind of comes with, wow, like an exocet missile. Actually, no, let, let's be very objective about it. It means to change your mind. And in the Jewish context, it means to return home. It means to change your mind and return home. That's the clarity of it. Take all the hostility out of it. That is the clarity of it. The young man changes his mind. We call this coming home. I've heard people numerous times come from kings and made a response to Jesus and said, you know, I feel I've finally come home. Now I want to stop a moment and just focus here. Because what we are talking about, my friends, I truly believe is the power to change your life. And there is something sometimes that gets in the way of that. This is a key moment. He says, I will, he comes to his senses and then he says, I will set out and go to my father. I suspect that many of us have reached the point of coming to our senses. I think many of us have done that. We've arrived at places of sincere regret. I, I, I Listen, I'm not a learner in this. I, I, I've got a degree in this. You know, we've made financial decisions or relational choices we should never have made. And we know it. Or maybe we just did decisions because, you know what? It felt good. I just felt like it. And then we've woken up. 
I've got regrets. Boy, have I got regrets many, many times. And if that's you, it may be you've never made the second step. And the second step is returning home. You know, we want to change. We want to start again. We want to start afresh. Sometimes guilt and fear and shame, they all get in the way. Could God ever forgive me? I remember coming out with that one. How could he forgive me? Do you realize the lengths that God has gone to forgive you? That his son would die on a cross and take all your shame and humiliation that you might have a new start? Do you realize that? Those the questions that we have, they stop us from moving beyond regret. It's called the sorry cycle. And on the sorry cycle, you've got longing, then I get regret. Then I long again in the wrong place, I get regret. And then I long again for something else, and I get regret. It's a cycle. Truth is, we can get stuck in that for years. doesn't matter how old you are. This isn't a young person's thing. Remember, many years ago, an older lady, she'd lived with this as a, like a weight around her neck a whole life. And she, we were talking, and she came to me, and she said, Do you know what? I can't get through this. I, I, when I was young, I had an affair with a man, and I have never told anybody in my life, and it's dogged me the whole of my life. And we talked together. She was much older, much older now. We talked this through, and she put it before God, and we turned to God, and this woman had a new lease of life in her older age. coming home. You know, for many people, coming home is uh, drawing a line in the sand on a public occasion like baptism. When we publicly say, do you know what? I have come home. And over the years at King's, we have seen hundreds make that statement of baptism. Two weeks time will give the opportunity for you to do that. And on the, it's the, on the 16th of this month, it doesn't mean you figured it all out. It doesn't mean you are a finished article. It doesn't mean you won't have your ups and downs. But it does mean that you make an intentional choice. And you say, do you know what? I've come home. I have come home. I've come home to a, a loving father who can't wait for me to return. Let's hear the rest of Juliet's story, shall we? I went over to the window and I just looked out and looked up to the sky and I started crying out to God and saying, are you there? Are you real? If you are, you need to help me. I just continued to look up. Are you listening? Are you there? I need you. Please help me. So nothing happened at that point. But I took my son into the lounge and he pointed behind me and said, look, look. As I looked, I saw nothing. I put my son to bed. I went back into the lounge and I had this phone call which was distressing. First thing I wanted was to have a joint. 
so I picked up a joint and I just knew that something was not right. I felt like a heat from the crown of my head slowly going down my face. So I looked up and saw the vision of Jesus in the place of where my son had been pointing. I saw a smile. He just took that addiction straight away. I just knew it. He placed joy. He placed love. I couldn't believe what was happening. I picked up the phone and phoned my mum. I said to mum, something's happening to me, something strange is happening to me. And mum said, Juliet, it was only this morning that I'd been praying for you. I'd been praying that me and my whole household would come and serve the Lord. And I know that my prayer has been answered. So it's been 20 years now, and I thank God that I have been drug-free. My addiction completely gone. I feel loved. I feel wanted. I tried and I tried everything in this world, and things failed me, but I tried Jesus, and he never failed me. I um I know this lady and she is her life is magnificently changed. And so can all of us. And I don't know where things are for some of you here at all. But things can change for you. She's never looked back. She's never looked back, my friends. So that could be your story even even today. That can be your story. Last week, John introduced Pascal's wager, challenging everyone to make that with God a, a, a bet as we prayed that prayer that, um, that God would be turned up and we would find that he is real. Here's the prayer. God, if you're real, make yourself real to me. Give me faith to the possibility that with you, I could start again. I wonder if the band could come up, please. And what I would like us to do is, um, I would I'd like us to read that prayer together. Can we say that out together? So I'll, I'll lead us in it, and then we'll just say that prayer out together. And there may be some of you, you go say, you know, this is my moment. I, I want to say that. I, I really want to say that prayer. And, and we'll do it together and encompass you in that. Can we do that? Here we go. God, if you're real, make yourself real to me. Give me faith to the possibility that with you, I could start again. Keep praying. 30 days.